Trading Nut episode 256. People way overestimate what their skill level is. And you actually see this now with like prop trading where people will pay for people to pass their prop accounts. And then they say like, I should be trading a 100K account. I just can't get past the assessment. If you want to trade, you can trade right now. Like this very second, you're in that arena. The question came for me of like, shit, if this is the world's biggest arena where anyone can enter at any point in time, who am I against? I would say the second one, which is probably the one that most people do is they implement tweaks that they've learned onto their full capital right away. I did have 600K with them. So it's, it's never fun to lose that. And I was just like, what if I don't know how to trade anymore? I would say what got me profitable right away is What's up traders? Welcome to this interview with Abdu Salem. He's about to share with you his entire journey from gamer to professional trader. You're going to find out all the ups and downs and he's got so many anecdotes and analogies from his gaming days to his trading days and just the way he approaches the market. So much insight in here for, that's bound to help your trading. Now uh, before we dive in I do want to tell you about something I've been wanting to do on this channel for ages which is I want to feature somebody's artwork and I want to actually feature lots of different people's artwork and how I'm going to do that is right here see where my YouTube plaque is what I want to do is replace that with a piece of art from one of you listeners out there it's got to be trading related uh, I just want to see what it is we'll get it printed up here we'll get it up framed up on there and we'll even make it bigger up on the screen here so people can really see the detail and we might do something cool with that as well so if you're an artist and want to see your uh, artwork up on trading art and make it trading related then please send it through to me uh, you can find me on the contact form Instagram etc just flick it through in a high enough res format so that we can actually get that printed out as well all right folks this is something I want to do here on the channel and I'm really looking forward to getting that up and running now uh, we're gonna just dive straight into the show here today and hear what Abdu has to say about the markets his journey and everything else in between so let's dive into it our sponsor Blue Guardian is the only prop firm that gives their traders a tool to protect them from hitting their max daily loss and over trading it's super simple to use just set the Guardian protector each day from your dashboard did you also know that they've just released an unlimited time evaluation with a zero trading days requirement giving you plenty of time to hit their low 8 and 4% targets making it super fast to get funded plus it's cheaper than the 40 day time limit evaluation check out the link and coupon in the description to get 10% off your next Blue Guardian evaluation alright folks here we are in trading now we've got Abdu Salem here in the house uh, another Falcon FX trader and coach uh, we've interviewed Ibby and Mark in the past and we're going to get the full circle here with uh, Abdu so welcome to the show thank you thanks for having me on Cam appreciate it well, look, it's great to get you on. Uh, I know you've got a lot of insight into the into the markets, into probabilities, into mindset. We're going to dive into that in today's show. But to start off with, how on earth did you get into trading? Where did it all start? We'll, we'll dive into your story there. Oh, my God. It goes back a long time. Uh, I would say the, the trading part itself was actually a bit random. I got linked to a trading education website, like on a TeamSpeak server, maybe eight years ago um and that, that that part was just completely random and the best part is like the person who dropped the link he actually dropped it to an education company at the time called um infinite prosperity i don't know if you've heard of it and mm, no. so they're, they're one of like the ogs of the time i guess and they don't exist anymore but it was one of those things it was just dropped in the chat and then i open it and i was like well this looks like a scam you know what i mean like it's just their website really was not the best in terms of what you expect to see a bit more and stuff like this, you know, it was the whole like buy now life changing 30 day back, like the, the whole nine yards of marketing or whatever. And I, I clicked it, you know, and I ended up like following the owner at the time who used to do um kind of like Snapchat stories at the time. Like it was a bit more um 
I think it was a period of time where it was more popular than Instagram. And then, so I watched that every day. And then long story short, I ended up joining it. But I, I guess the precursor to it, which a lot of people know this part about, like for those of you that know who I am, um, I used to make money off a game called RuneScape, which actually still exists, funny enough. And long story short, when I was much younger, when I was you know, 12, 13, 14, give or take, uh, I grew up in a world of probabilities, you know, where we, we ended up kind of co-founding a casino at the time um, with a lot of luck. It was not my intention, if I'm honest. It was a lot of uh, right place at the right time, so to speak. And it was really cool because this time, like versus your normal casino model, I was on the side of the house and at a very young age. And so I just started to, I didn't know at that time, but this would be a very life-changing moment because I would now understand probabilities from a house edge point of view, right? And and we were very lucky because the models like that we played on, they were all mechanical. You know, you couldn't you couldn't mess it up. There was no skill to it or whatever. You just you had an edge and you played it out. And what would then become my next four years was actually very fascinating because I got to see like kind of the same market psychology, rather just call it trading psychology, and the same thing, but through gambling of other hosts that were all on the side of the house. And, you know, they would lose money and whatever, and you would watch them go on tilt. You would watch them then give up odds sometimes as well, which was really fascinating, you know, where some games you'd have like a 63% edge or whatever, and then someone would lose for a bit, and then they would go 50-50 another co-host. And it's like, why would you do that, right? But they were like, well, I got to make my money back. And and they would like proceed to do this by lowering their edge. So I'm kind of cutting a lot of the story short for like in the interest of time, but that was like the founding knowledge that after doing that for about four years, when I stumbled upon trading, I was like, this is the exact same thing. It's just the technicals is like the language, so to speak. So I just have to learn that. But I, but the, the house side, I was like, I had already spent years doing that. I had seen mm. so much money fluctuations, drawdowns, all that, that I was like, I just got to learn the language. And then this would be the same model, so to speak. It's interesting. I mean, and, and through that sort of experience, did you, make any actual money out of it yourself like were you able to oh yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah no it was we, we we had made in the hundreds of thousands at the time and oh, it seriously? was yeah no it was i think like no one really believed it at the time because obviously the game was just like it's a game you played for fun you know like i, I didn't get into it to make money it was a game that i was just addicted to um and then but everyone within the game itself got addicted to gambling because it became the fastest way to make the like money within the game, but the money then held like real life value if you sold it, you know, on like third party websites or whatever. Um, and at the time as well, we we like we didn't know this, but we used Bitcoin to transact. This is way before people even know right. what Bitcoin. We didn't even know what Bitcoin was. <laughs> really, you know what I mean? Like someone just said, like, "Hey, this is a way to send money to anyone in the world," and we're like, "Great, awesome!" You know, I think Bitcoin was sitting at like twenty bucks or whatever at the time, give or take. And then, um, you know, and we used it and some of us had like, I'm, I'm someone who like, I cashed out a lot, so I paid my taxes and whatever, but even in some of it, like I caught that very first bull run to like 2000 and whatever. And it was just kind of insane. Cause you were like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like you're just holding this asset class that no one really knew what it was. You obviously, you heard like the, um, you know, like the conspiracies or whatever you want to call it, like the Satoshi Nakamoto and all yeah, that, yeah. but we, we didn't really care about that. We, we only really used it because PayPal was giving us a lot of issues at the time. Right. Um, they had some really rough policies when it came to what, like they deemed our services as virtual goods. 
and their their policy was honestly like very punishing so anytime anyone complained they kind of just got like the dispute so it was not so we had to shift away and then we kind of just ended up in bitcoin because there was no central authority that was just hammering in on us so it was really cool because i got to experience like the crypto market from such a young age without knowing it probabilities you know like it was honestly like the perfect storm in a way for myself to kind of set me up for this and so you must have you must have walked away with quite a bit at, at what age did you end up like sort of saying okay well, I'm, I'm out of this game uh the casino sort of done and dust that i'm moving on and you know we like where do i retire <laughs> well it's funny because our our business model within the game was not really sustainable and and i say this because we were a business within a business right so the the owners of the game weren't too happy with our business model because obviously when you open a casino it's kind of like toxic and stuff and it's it's it can you know it's an ethical debate as well um and so but for me at, at such a young age i really wasn't like i'll be honest i wasn't considering my moral ethics at the time you know like <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah you're just kind of doing whatever um and I think for me, it was actually the threat, which was at some point, the owners of the game started, like they started banning us anyway. And we we, we kept money on different accounts and stuff because, you know, they get banned and all that. But at some point they were like, hey, we're going to remove like your ability to do this from the game, right? So there was dice in the game, there was all these things and then they just recoded it so it wouldn't work, right? Yeah. Um, and that side to me was, I guess, the most scary because I didn't like the idea of like our business just, ceasing to exist overnight which is the fact like even though they did say it was coming the actual execution did kind of happen overnight um so you know we went to bed one night one and then you wake up and your business is just gone right and so shortly after we a lot of us got addicted to another game which is league of legends um and then i guess to kind of like pseudo answer your question because we had a lot of money as well like no one cared to go get a job or whatever like we all just kind of gamed all day um right. so we got really good at it and then we opened what was known as a boosting website at the time um which is kind of like if you got really good at league of legends people would pay you to play on their account um and then you would level up their account for them like in terms of skill because you it's kind of like um like a ranking system right so if if you the better you play the mm-hmm. higher the rank you have yeah people would pay for this and this was also a very indirect um life lesson for myself because i remember saying this business idea was going to fail and i was like so wrong about it because i was like why would someone pay to have like a rank status that they can't play at but that was it exactly makes no sense yeah yeah i was like why would you right and then but pe- but what i what i didn't consider is which is like an error on my part was people way overestimate what their skill level is and you mm. actually see this now with like prop trading where people will pay for people to pass their prop accounts and then they say like they'll say something like i don't know like i should be trading a 100k account i just can't get past the assessment but if yeah. i'm on the account i'll be able to trade it and yeah. that was actually the same psychology right they'll say they should be at like the higher ranks but they keep getting matched with like idiots on their team but if you get them to the better caliber so to speak they'll be able to to then perform right and just just out of interest how much were people paying for for you to get them to a certain level um i th- i think at its peak we were making like maybe three to four hundred dollars a night um now granted you'd be playing for like 10 hours but 
you, you know, you're playing with your mate, you're kind of like, you're going in and you're doing it with a bit of like, like you, you would, we, we're going in for efficiency. You know what I mean? So mm. you do certain tactics or whatever that are like, not high risk, high reward, because at the lower levels, honestly, it always works. Like sometimes we'd win, like if we're taking an account from the absolute bottom to top, which would take a few weeks, we might win like the first 50 games straight, you know, and like, it didn't matter who we got on our team. And, and I guess that was another life lesson itself, right? In the sense of, when you have a certain level of skill set, you should always perform. And what I mean by that is like, if an NBA player, for instance, were to come to the university level, like even those top tier American university levels, that NBA team were to come, they should still win 100% of the time because the, the NBA as a skill is way higher than your university level. You know, even though the, the pro level and their season passes and all that fun stuff, it's just not the same in terms of skill set, right? Like the top 0.1 is way better than the top 1%. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of stayed with me, so to speak. So even as I came into trading, that was the logic where I was like, okay, like this is an open arena, right? In the sense of like, what I mean by that is when you watch like a football match or whatever, the, the players are fixed. You you can't just like step into the game right now and be like, Hey, you know what? I would like to play for yeah. Liverpool right now. You just get yeah. in. And be like, right. But if you want to trade, you can trade right now, like this very second of this podcast, right? Hypothetically, you open a brokerage account, you put some money and then you short dollar cat. You're, you're in that arena. So the question came for me of like, shit, if this is the world's biggest arena where anyone can enter at any point in time, who am I against? You know, and, and I guess from day one in trading, I kind of thought about it where I was like, if I'm going to do well in this, I have to actually also kind of respect my opponent, so to speak, because... I think that's the part that a lot of people don't really like just having taught trading for like three years now is most people don't really take that into consideration mm. of like, they just, I think people, and you see this a bit more in the trading space. People have become a bit like, um, they think poorly of others in a way. Um, and then, and I think that's kind of going back to what I was saying on the league side where they overestimate themselves by putting other people down. And then that discrepancy, which is their edge really, ends up catching up to them. So it was, it was a lot of life lessons without even really realizing it. Yeah. Folks, Blackball Markets have 10 merch packs to give away to clients who sign up before the end of the year, including one of these trader keys. So to go in the draw, all you need to do is sign up with the link below this video or in the podcast description, and you'll go in the draw to win. It's that simple. And remember folks, when you sign up to Blackball Markets through the trading nut link below, you're gonna get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. All you need to do is click the link in the description below the video or the podcast. Right now, now, what about like, so it sounds like you're quite a, a smart guy, you know, if you're able to do that at the age of 13, uh, start a casino, work out how to even operate it and all this sort of stuff. I mean, would you say there's any sort of traits that you've got yourself, uh, you know, even the League of Legends thing, you managed to jump into another game and just kill it. I mean, what what's the, what's the sort of back end of you that's got you to the point where you can achieve these, I suppose, ridiculous kind of things? At such a young age. Well, I, I, won't, I really won't take credit for the casino. Like, I, I don't think that's fair. It was a lot of like, I met the right people. I, I ended up leading it at some point. Um, like, I would say I, I definitely have a knack to pick stuff up, but that was more of just right place, right time. Right. Um, but what what I would say is, I, I guess like I'm an only child, so there was a high degree of me that I, I found meaning and fulfillment. I guess through my computer, right? You know, I I grew up with my grandparents. Um, so there really wasn't much to do, but be by on your computer, um, in terms of picking up the games and all that, I don't, I don't know if I'm like genetically competitive, but the environment I was in was, 
So I like, I really couldn't tell you if I was competitive 107. I don't think I was, but that's partly because I had a lot of like health problems as a kid. Like I was extremely asthmatic amongst other things. So mm -hmm. the idea of like being good at sports was not in my future. Um, and, or not at the time at least. And then, so, but the environment I was in online where everyone was kind of actually incredibly toxic. And I'm talking like, if you kind of think back, you're like 2010 Call of Duty room, so to speak, you know, where everyone's just kind of talking shit 24 seven. That's what it was, but adding the ability to make money. And in a way, like, although I didn't intend to really go down the entrepreneur kind of route, so to speak, um, that was the side that like I kind of fell into. And I realized I was like, okay, you know, I don't actually have to go get a job. And and it opened my mind to realizing there's there's a lot more you can do in terms of if you apply like I don't say if you just apply yourself at work, but rather like you can make money in any way possible, so to speak. Some more moral than others, sure. But that was the side of realizing, okay, I learned at a very young age that skill will always pay, right? Because what we were able to do on League of mm -hmm. Legends, for instance, was an entirely different game. We just got really good at it. Like we we did the same, like I did the same shit that I do on trading, which is like you watch the replays of your game, which would be your trades. You know, you, you watch how other people trade, for instance, and which is the strategy within the game. You see the little like tweaks or whatever, why it is they don't push certain aggression. So the, the whole process was actually identical. Like, so I've been trading like going on eight years now, but the routines and methods has honestly been more than half my life. And I didn't really know that obviously, like, I, I don't think I was like 12 and I was like, Hey, this is the ideal like day in the life routine. Yeah. It just was, you, you just wanted to get like, I'll tell you what it was. Obviously we, we used TeamSpeak, which was a discord back then. That was the OG discord, like yeah. kind of after Vendelo. And people had the ability to spectate your game, right? As long as they had you added, they can just watch you. And it, and Cam, dude, it was so tilting because you would get like this little notification that someone's like watching you. And, you know, and they're three minutes behind. Like that's how the game made sure. Oh, there was no, no like, cheating, right? yeah. And yeah. And so all of a sudden you had the pressure in your mind that if you fuck up three minutes from now, you're going to get roasted to shit because everyone was like <laughs> right. watching. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you're like, oh my. But you also knew if you did like something really impressive three minutes from now, like you have a crowd, right? And if you lost everyone, like there was no sugarcoating. People just message you like, yo, your shit. Like that's-, that's Right, okay, well, straight up once. Yeah, it, it didn't matter, right? Like even if you got unlucky, if it was the most, like there were times where, you know, like half your teammate would leave the game. So it's really not your fault. And the friends on teams who would just be like, well, no, they left because you're garbage. And if you weren't, they would have stayed. Right? They would always find a way to blame you, right? And my point is at some point that kind of taught me accountability at the fullest of levels, which is like, you know what? I can't actually control if this person leaves the game or if this person starts trolling or if this person, because people get mad, right? People have emotions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you tell someone like, hey, be careful. It'd be something so simple. Like there's an obvious like um, bait happening and you're like, hey, be careful. They're coming to you. And they'll respond with like, shut the fuck up. Don't tell me what to do. And you're like, I'm on your team. Like, I'm just giving you a warning sign. <laughs> yeah. but they, they would get offended, right? And so at a, at a young age, I kind of just realized I was like, wow, I actually can't quantify anyone's like, reaction to things like reactions are not logical right where you, you would think they are but if you actually kind of study most human psychology and how we respond to things it's actually really not based off logic it's based more off emotion emotion in this case you don't really know who's on the other side of the screen like you might think they're a normally balanced stable human and it could be someone who's incredibly intoxicated and just doesn't care while well, you do right so you, you didn't see that kind of side of things 
So I, I brought that into my trading and I kept that competitive edge in the sense of, I was like, you know what, like, if I'm going to succeed at this, I want, I have to have the skill set. So then that became also a bit of a math problem because it's like, how long does it take you to get really good at trading? And I say this in the most like, yeah. And I say it in the most like humble way of like, I assume the other people trading, which are like, you know, the banks, the institutions, people or whatever, these are people that do it every day. So it's not like, like the same way we played League of Legends all day, every day and RuneScape, you weren't going to beat us because we were there 17 hours a day. So I actually adopted that mindset when I got into trading, mm. I like lived and breathed trading. Whereas I think a lot of people do treat it as a hobby. Like I don't think they'll admit it, but just based off the way they describe their mm. life, it seems like it's something they kind of fit into the rest of their day. And I've kind of don't really have sympathy for that because you're going to like, you're, you're going to lose to someone else who does this all the time. You yeah, know? That, that, it's so true. It is so true. It's like getting past that level of, uh, or that barrier of like, this is a hobby versus this is what I do. Cause you are playing against the, the, the Liverpools, the, the Chelsea's of, you know, the first 11 every single day. Um, what, what about like, uh, so, so you dived into trading how did you make that transition from League of Legends to trading? I mean, what was that sort of, you know, first endeavor? You've got to somehow learn that the skills and stuff and the chart and reading the chart and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, how did that sort of come to fruition? I'm guessing you didn't go straight to Falcon, so you would have probably done something else before that. Yeah, so that, that was my first community, which was Infinite Prosperity at the time. And honestly, the transition was a bit depressing because gaming is incredibly addicting and... But that was the side of like, there was a period of time in my life where I guess, and you know, to old friends if they hear this, no, no, no shot intended, but I kind of saw where their life was heading and I didn't want my life to be the same, right, okay. you know, they were, I mean, look, I'm still friends with some of them and they'll admit this, but maybe not on public, but there was the side of, they were playing all day, every day, you know, and at some point, even with like, sure, we were making good money, but you're not leaving your house. So the money was in a way kind of actually irrelevant because most of us just needed a computer and, you know, pizza pockets. Um, so it didn't really matter how much money you were making because like, it was almost like, and that was the running joke at the time was like real life was like a different server, you know? Um, and right. yeah. So I, I guess for myself was, I, I didn't really see my life kind of continuing that way, but it didn't mean it wasn't addicting in the meantime. It was more of the cost of, what would happen if I stayed? And that was the side that was like, because I knew for myself, I was like, okay, I can start on this later. But I was like, the the, the longer it takes me to start, the, um, uh, you know, like the later it's, the fruition of it is going to come together. And at the time I was still in university, like I was doing my engineering degree and there was, there was a higher degree of like real life kind of kicking in, so to speak where and and this is where i'm actually like grateful for society to be honest like i know a lot of people kind of make like a matrix joke or whatever but i i think there's the reality of like when, when you're approaching you know your early 20s to mid 20s it's that age where people you know start to get a house start to get married maybe have kids finish their degree and whatever and you kind of do compare yourself and i don't think there's i, I think compare like look the whole comparisons of even though i do agree with it but equally if you didn't compare yourself, you'd actually have no idea how well you're doing. Like, it, I don't, I don't know how you can not not compare. Like, you still have to. D don't like. Sure, it's a paradox in terms of like, don't let it get to you, and don't like live through Instagram by any means in that kind of comparison. But in terms of where you are, like, relative to society, so to speak, it's like, well, there are some obvious metrics that are important on that. And for myself, was like, 
hey, do I want to like play video games for the rest of my life? And after RuneScape had taken down our business method, it was only a matter of time until League of Legends did the same, you know, or saturation would kick in, meaning mm-hmm. like enough people, because we were still one of also the early adopters in that way, but enough people would come to market being good enough and the price has dropped. And I actually looked them up like about a few months ago. And what we would have made as $400 at the time is now maybe like $25, you Seriously? know, so for the same yeah. thing. And that that's what market saturation is, right? Because so the only thing that was left was for me to go pro in League of Legends at the time, which I wasn't good enough to go pro, but I was close that if I wanted to commit, it would take like a hard effort for sure. But like it was on the horizon, so to speak. But at the time, esports wasn't what it is now. Like it was paying like at best, best, best 100K. And I was like going all out like, and you're talking like a 19 hour grind every day, like nonstop. Right. I was like for 100K, that would be for two, three years. And then you're replaced by like a 16 year old. That's just better. Right. It's like. I was like, no, that's not worth it. So trading was kind of the right solution and all that. And then obviously it was my first education company. I was very lucky with that in terms of, I've never really been part of a scam education company. Like I, I know a lot of people had like signal services, IMLs and all these things. Um, ne- never, never had any of that. Um, I, I didn't join a signal service just because I guess I, I knew that from RuneScape, funny enough, or sorry, from League of Legends, which is, why would I pay someone to tell me when to trade? If so, and, and even if they were legit, by the way, I just looked at it as like, what if this guy dies? What happens now? Like, I was like, am I just like, I was like, yeah, I'm, exactly. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're out. Right? Like, I wasn't even thinking about what if the signal, like, I wasn't considering the signal service a scam. I was more worried about the guy getting murdered or some shit. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, what happens? I'm waiting tomorrow for him to tell me when to buy gold or whatever. And then he fucking dies. What do I do now? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just useless, right? So that to me actually never really made sense because that was the same people that we boosted on League of Legends. They got to the like the what was called the Elo, which was the ranking, and then they stopped playing. They couldn't play the game anymore because it was too hard. Right. And I was like, I was like, wait, you just paid us like sometimes five hundred dollars, two thousand dollars, whatever it was, depending on the level of the boost, for you to not play this game, for you to just have a virtual badge <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> and that was the same thing, I guess. I saw in prop firms with people, people would pay yeah. someone to pass a prop firm and then they would get into drawdown and then they would just stop trading the account. And it's like, so what's the point? So in looking at all those things, I, I realized for myself, I was like, okay, I got to do this. And then anyway, so I learned to trade that way, which was first strategy was support resistance, EMA, Fibonacci type style, um, loosely Elliott wave, I guess. Mm. And then shortly after at the time, like Falcon was making kind of a lot of noise um and then it was so I, same same process that i did i kind of like i followed mark on instagram um and all that and then he was actually getting into a lot of the trades that i was in but he was like getting way better risk reward and like better positioning and better all these things and i was like whoa like that's interesting like we seem to be on the same page for over multiple months and then at some point i made the switch because i was like i was like okay cool like how did i get three percent off this and he got nine or whatever and i was like like how like what are you doing? And I realized like in the old way we were trading, we were using our stops incorrectly in terms of like, we were protecting too many things that just didn't need protection. And then therefore, even you'd argue it's safer, it's kind of like safer in the wrong way. Meaning like, I don't know, like if if I were to poison you right now and then you put on a bulletproof vest, it's like, you are technically safer. It's just not really the right way to the like method, so to speak. Um, And and that was kind of, so I then made this switch and then it was 
honestly one of the best switches I've ever made. Um, so, so just because, stepping just stepping back yeah, before yeah. you get to Falcon. I mean, how, how did you how did you sort of go through this Prosperity Academy or whatever it was? Like, did did you sort of just go, okay, th- these are the rules. I'm just going to follow them, and straight away, no back testing and, and everything worked well. Or, or did or was there no, a journey in there? Or, did, did you yeah, did you yeah, struggle? Yeah. And how many years did you go through that before you made the switch? <laughs> I'll tell you what, to kind of answer your previous question as well, in terms of like what I guess kind of is a good one of my secret to success is I know which data point to follow and to not like, and I know when to stop questioning something. Now, I don't mean that in like some antagonistic way, but I think a lot of people actually do self-sabotage in terms of they find ways to fail, right? Like I'll have students, no joke, that'll message me like, hey, do you think AI is going to change the way we trade in like 2045? And I'd be like, bro, we're 2023. Like, we'll figure it out in 2045. Like, this can't be, a, but but I'm saying this because it's almost like they want a way out, so to speak, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when I was back then, obviously, like, the trading space has a lot of scammers. Like, we're, we're, no one's unaware of that. But to me, I guess the side was, like, once I deemed someone credible, I actually listened now, right? So... Because you, you can open IG, everyone that making it's making a trillion dollars every day, whatever, we get it. But obviously a lot of them are not actually genuinely legit, legitimate. But once you actually find someone that is legit, then I actually did listen at the time. And the reason I said it was because I think for a lot of people, is they'll, they'll choose like the tweaks that they think matter to them. They'll be like, well, I think I'm not consistent because of this. And it's like, you wouldn't know why you're not consistent. But like, that actually doesn't really make sense. You you may know it from like a lazy point of view, meaning like I do zero trading work. That's why I'm not consistent. It's like, yeah, fair enough. But if it's like, oh no, my timing is not the best, but this, it's like someone can actually point that out to you. So that was the side for me that I was like, there was very specific rules and pathways. There was four webinars a week at the time. It's four webinars. It was, I think it was 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. my time. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, and then so... I flipped my schedule around, you know, and then like, so I was going to bed at like 5 p.m., waking up at like 11 p.m. or whatever, midnight. And then I just started my day to make sure to attend those webinars. And don't get me wrong, Cam, like I wasn't the most enthusiastic student in the world. Half the time you're falling asleep or whatever, but I made sure to take knowledge in every day Mm. and follow it religiously, so to speak. And yeah, a shit ton of backtesting because I would say that the the better part is I only really focused on like one or two tweaks at a time. Like I wasn't the person who was like, I got to fix this, 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 and this, and this. I would really just focus on one or two things, but made sure that like once I knew it, I knew it to never like check on it again. It was, I, I mastered it, so to speak. And that to me was a lot more helped with progress because I wasn't questioning the knowledge that I knew anymore. I was like, okay, like I know this X confluence or whatever. Good. I don't have to question that. Whereas I think a lot of people expose themselves to a lot of the confluences, but they don't really know each one truly. So then when a trade happens with like, you know, the five confluences or whatever, they're like, is this one, this one, is this one, that one, is this one, which then produces anxiety, produces fear, produces all these other emotions, it clouds your judgment. And it just leads to a whole lot of nothing. Whereas I kind of looked at it almost systematically of, I didn't really approach any of this of, Hey, will I succeed in a year or two? It was more of, okay, I want to know a timeline. Obviously, I don't want to like be learning to trade for 56 years, but I was like, hey, if this actually took you five years or whatever, is that really a big deal? And I was like, well, no, because why not? You know what I mean? Like once you crack it, so to speak, mm-hmm. it's it's financial freedom in, in some sense of the definition. 
Um, so that made it easy to really not care about timelines. And then I just kind of looked at it every day. And as I said, I, I did, I really, I never blamed my mentors. I was never one of those people that was like, oh, the strategy is a scam. Or I was like, or you got it, as long as the logic remained consistent, which it did, that was the side to me that was what mattered. And kind of going back to what I was saying, it's like, I always looked at the main data point, meaning like, even when, um, my Forex funds was still around, rest in peace. But like, they, they would say something like their top traders are making like 5% a month. So that to me would then be the North Star because when I see on Instagram, which we see all the time, someone claiming to be making 60% in a week or whatever, well, why is my Forex funds not talking about them? Yeah, exactly. Right? Because look, if a strategy was making 60% every two weeks or whatever, I would go trade that strategy. Everybody would. But then the prop firms would also like emulate that data. Yes, every now and then you get this dude who like, catches a trade or whatever that really goes but over the aggregate data they say hey over the three or four years we've existed with the people with the most payouts they make three to six percent or whatever so then that becomes my north star so to speak because i'm not trying to trade in an anomaly way i'm not trying to be that guy who's apparently making 600 percent while the rest of the world's stuck at five right i was like you know what balance of probability the people making 60 percent are not as legitimate as they may seem to say, because, well, the prop firms would emulate this data, right? So that's how I kind of always looked at things. I would, I would see the obvious points and just stick to it. So so at, this, at that start, I mean, like, did you have any expectations around how many uh, times a day or week you'd be trading? I mean, I suppose the difference I'm sort of seeing here is you're playing these PC games and you're obviously doing stuff, clicking buttons all the time. And now you've got to go to a trading environment where you're, potentially waiting through a whole three hour session or whatever and not doing anything, not taking, not even taking a trade. I mean, what was the frequency sort of uh, differential there and and how did you get used to it? It's a very good question. You actually remind me of that. It's true because on RuneScape, right? You, you took a trade like every minute, so to speak, you know, and the result of the trade is almost instantaneous. Like it's in mm. three seconds. So there's a dopamine hit every single time. You're like, yeah. Oh, did we win or lose? Did we win or lose? Did we win or lose? Whereas on that, because it was like, almost like a swing slash day trading hybrid, you can be in positions for like five days. And I was like, and it's like, dude, being in a position for five days is like, there's a degree of like boringness, especially when like the pullback happens and you're like, oh, we got to just watch this like pull back for a bit. So that was, that was a major shift on the side, but I would say what, what kind of mitigated against it a bit was I was still learning. So it's not like my time was just dead all of a sudden. I still had the video games too. Like I wasn't playing it as much, but I still was because I, I, I couldn't like cut that addiction completely right away. Like I kind of minimized it until it just kind of became gone. Um, so there was this, I think we were, we were taking about 12 trades a month at the time. Um, something around that. Yeah. So 12 trades. And then your average like trades, you you can even for your losses because it was like eighty pip stop losses to one hundred and twenty. You can be in a trade for a while, right? Mm. Um, especially if you've covered like the daily high and all that. So that that to me was it was a like it was a big transition. But I guess in a way for me, what was cool was I kind of almost looked into the future of like, okay, what what's the end game here? Meaning like, do I want to be trading trades every day? And I actually understood this day one where I was like. I'm not interested to be that person who needs to trade every single day, be by the charts for like eight, nine hours, because that kind of goes against the whole financial freedom part. Like yeah. I, I like, or rather the logic of like, I have freedom, but then you have to attend two sessions or whatever. Um, 
and you have to be by the mm. charts. And look, there are there are strategies that take a lot of trades per day to get to the same edge. I get it, and they work. It was more of that kind of goes against the whole like autonomy side. So to me, I was like, okay, cool. Like I just got to get my capital bigger, and then all of a sudden, if I'm making three percent on like five billion or whatever, I don't really care if the trade takes five days to play out because three percent on five million is 150k. And like lifestyle doesn't infinitely scale, right? It, 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 at some point you are living your dream life and it doesn't cost more, the better you are, so to speak, right? Like when you go to a restaurant right now, it's the same $200. It's not like, oh, your net worth is 86 million. You will now pay 500K for this meal. It's mm. like, no, it's the same $200. So I guess for me, the mentality was get bigger and whatever. And that way I need to do less to make, more you know and, and that was so waiting actually became really easy because i understood there were better times in the market than others um because that also even taking an edge background so to speak it's like you can't assume everything's high probability all the time that goes against its raw definition so being patient was actually not hard for me i just had to understand the edge and then once i understood it it was just an execution thing and the, and the ex execution to get the edge in this case was patience. So see what I'm saying? Why it wasn't difficult? Because that's how I followed my model is by giving it the edge it needed. And so, so I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's coming across like you, you were profitable out of the gate with no hurdles at all of like, you know, I'm, I'm in a losing streak or blowing accounts or anything like that. Is that, is that correct? Um, so I, I got profitable in like, okay, I, technically I got profitable in one year, but there was still a lot to learn, right? Like there was a lot, like my technicals were nowhere near what it is now. I would, what, I would say what get, got me profitable right away is I just understood risk management off the gate and, and trading psychology because it, I had already been doing it. That was not different to me. So drawdown didn't affect me. Like if I took a trade, I never took it personally. Sorry, like if I took a loss, I never took it personally. I didn't see the market as hating me. I was never one of those people that was like, oh my God, FXCM is trying to like slip me and the brokers. Mm. I, I never bought with any of that stuff because for most of those people, they're trying to justify a loss which kind of actually goes against probabilities because it, it subconsciously implies that if you do everything perfect, you can in theory have a 100% strike rate. Whereas I kind of just understood there was a degree, sure, there's a degree of brokerage slash market manipulation, but if you're positioned well for the most part, that's not going to be an issue. If you're taking the right trades, that's not going to be an issue. If you're well protected, that's not going to be an issue. It's really a greed issue, meaning people over risk and they don't allow themselves to live longer which was actually the biggest lesson I learned from RuneScape because what I was saying earlier is we couldn't choose the size of the bet coming in, right? So if somebody kind of came in and they're like, hey man, I'd like to bet $10,000. We couldn't really say no to that because if we didn't take it, they would go to our competition, right? And that was, so what happened is we didn't really have hardcore risk management principles. So what happened a lot is someone would come in with 10K, you would have like eight and you're like, okay, I'll take eight of the 10K and it's like, mm -hmm. You don't have to take 8K, you could just take $500 or whatever, right? But people would take it. And there was that greed of, we don't see 10K betters that often. So you were like, I gotta do it now that it's here. And it was so fascinating because it taught me two things. Even with absolutely garbage risk management, because we were at times, if you think of it from like an account value, we'd be risking anything from 1% to the full, honestly, like 200% sometimes. And I say it, like you take a loan from someone to literally like, catch this better or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. you risk anything from a hundred from one percent to two hundred percent, like it didn't matter. But what was fascinating is even when we took loans out from each other, no one was worried about you not paying them back, which actually showed me something, which is 
we all actually believed in the edge. Like you'd be like, hey, Abdu, can I borrow 20K? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, here you go. And, you know, and by the way, you can take this money and leave. Like the trust system on RuneScape is so bad. Like you can just take the money, log out, you don't exist anymore. But we all just understood that there was so much more money to be made and that the edge would catch up. So even when you were on the unlucky side, the curve always came out the other way. So in coming into trading and kind of reflecting back on RuneScape at the time, which was literally in that in between, because when RuneScape ended, I was like, or at least this business model, I was like, what could we have done better? How could we have been more profitable? And a big part of it was actually controlling risk. So when I came into trading, I risked that 1% right away. I've never, I've never been one of those people that risked like 17% or whatever. It was mm. off the gate, 1%. And, and that allowed me to not like, and I guess I was so used to having risk 20%, 30%, 50%, risking 1% now, this, this was a joke because it's like, hey, why, why would I be tilted by losing five trades in a row? It's just 5%. And then I just looked at it from, if I can make sure I actually do learn from those trades, it's not even just 5%. It's actually almost free lessons is the way I saw it because it costed me nothing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think I was trading like a 10K account. So to me, it was like, if I lose 500 bucks, but like... I've learned these lessons that I don't have to learn anymore for $500 that will go on to play, like pay tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or whatever. This is such a free tuition. So the whole downside was limited the whole way because I understood from like on RuneScape, as I said, is the second you lost your money, you couldn't play anymore. Like you'd have to get a loan. And if no one gave you a loan, you were done. Like you had to find a way to get more money. So I brought that into, into trading and I was like, I have to make sure I have my capital from day one. So I never over-risked. I understood that. And I understood that the, the next trade does not know about the previous trade. Like I knew that, right? And it was funny. And I'll just, this is a quick one because that was one of our like marketing tactics on RuneScape, which was, we would tell you, hey man, I've won the last 13 in a row. And then funny enough, people would be like, well, if you won 13 in a row, you're bound to lose now. But the reality is that's not how like odds work. Now, sure, over the law, law of large numbers, there is a degree of truth to it. But on the micro side, the, the the last like plant does not know about the next role, so to speak. You know, sorry, I said two different games there, but like the last role doesn't know about the next role, right? And because that that's not how like probabilistic algorithms work. They work over very, very, very large numbers. So when I looked at my trading, so to speak, if I was minus three or whatever, I knew that the trades didn't know about each other. They weren't like conspiring against me. Yeah. So psychologically speaking, I wasn't like the market hates me. I, I really never dealt with any of that because how would the market know? Like, I actually think it's like, if people spent two seconds to actually think about it, they're like, you think the all of dollar CAD just conspired to take you out of your position before going the other way? Or were you positioned in a place of liquidity that's probably just going to take you out because you were poorly, like, reckless, so to speak? And then it was just that, right? And so that was the side for me where I, I kind of looked at what everyone thought was unlucky and I made sure that unluckiness didn't happen to me. I know it was a very roundabout answer, but I hope that yeah. can answer it. And, and so, so, I mean, so you said, said you started off with like 10K there. I mean, you, but you had it, in your mind, you knew that, you know, if you could just grow it, even a small amount, that two, three percent, whatever, it would actually be enough. So, like, let's say, let's say you did, did what was your plan there in terms of the capital did you intend to add more capital when you were better or because i'm guessing back then like eight years ago seven years ago the prop firms were like kind of very scarce not really yeah, i hadn't heard of prop firms back then yeah, yeah exactly like, nobody would have heard of them so so i mean what what was the thinking around like oh well, how am i going to scale this to actually make a decent living out of it instead of like you know i make two percent and I, i've got yeah, yeah. Bucks so, a week. so at the time I, I took my extra funds and I actually put it into crypto, you know, because they were like, 
at what I thought was value areas at the time. Um, again, and this is very early journey, right? Um, so I put that and the logic was on the next crypto bull run, so to speak, that would make me more capital. And I have the time between now and the bull run to kind of improve my skill set. So my logic was, and I've always been, I've always been patient in this way where it's like, even my students know this until now when I'm experimenting with something, I'll do it first on like, I, I don't really do demo anymore. To be honest. Like I, I feel like it's a bit of a waste of time, but like I'll do it on some capital. And then after that, I'll do it on like 30% of my capital. And I'll do that for like six months. And the reason being is because I do believe when you have like certain emotions, when you're taking a trade is because you're feeling something that you shouldn't be feeling. Meaning like when you're feeling anxious, why do you feel anxious? Like you shouldn't just randomly feel anxiety. You should like, I understand some people do, but like, if, if you, I don't know, if you were, um, um, if you burnt your food, for instance, you, you may be like, okay, I just burnt it. Like, is what it is. You wouldn't overthink it or whatever. And you just move on. Mm. Right. Because maybe you've made that exact same meal a thousand times. And then today you were distracted and you burnt it. So you're not questioning your skill set. You're not questioning your state of mind. You're not questioning how you're just like, oh, I burnt it. Throw it away. You make another one. In the same way, if you really knew your trades, when it loses, you wouldn't really think about it. You would just kind of know, or like, I'll give you actually a better example in the cooking. If, if you ever, you've ever like misstepped while you're walking and you kind of just tripped, right? You don't just question all of a sudden, hey, do I know how to walk? Like you don't yeah. stop yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. maybe I don't know how to walk. Like you, you may make the joke, but the reality is, is you know how to walk. You just, I don't know, maybe zoned out, tripped, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> that was kind of the same logic. Me was like, if I really know my trade setups, I should not really feel certain emotions or whatever. And for a lot more people is because they haven't been doing it long enough, like incongruence to that particular setup or whatever. So when it comes in the live market, the greed's kicking in because they're seeing potential profit targets. They're seeing, you know, they could pass these funding accounts and all these things while also not like having the proper experience of having like the, that, the, the emotional backgrounds on the setup, so to speak, which then produces the emotions and clouds their judgment. So for myself, it's, I've always been kind of patient on that in terms of like, I'll set up a process that when the time comes where I'm trading a certain setup on full capital, I would have already been doing it for a very long time. It's not something that I just found last week and then now I'm doing it. It's like I would have scaled it up over months and months that when I came to add capital, so to speak, there was no shock there. It was, I've, I was already doing what I had been doing for months and years that it just became more and more. And then so I had put money into crypto and whatever, and then it was not the best of prices at the time, which led me to like study more about like actual bear markets and how they properly function. And I don't just mean like buy low, sell high and like that kind of bullshit, but like actually understanding like why bear markets trigger, how people get in out of money, like how capital rotates across different markets and all these things, which then led me down like another rabbit hole. Right. And then it was cool because that was this, like, it, it was just this whole major learning chapter in a way. And I used every mistake that I made to kind of go back to the drawing board and not really be offended by it. Because the way I saw it was for as long as I'm still in the game, I can kind of fix this mistake and not make it again. There's only so many mistakes you can do after a certain point in time. You can kind of just at some point, like you're, you're doing more right than wrong, you know? Yeah. Tired of missing trades or spending hours at the charts? Introducing my Robot Builders Club. With our platform, you can build bots in minutes, not weeks, without any coding required. Get lifetime access to my video course, VIP community, and over 40 ready-made robots. Works with MT4 or MT5, and as a bonus, you'll get three months access to my robot lab, where we build and test bots on live calls every week. Join the hundreds of traders who are trading smarter, not harder. Click the link in the description to learn more, get the free training, 
and download a free robot. And, and so, I mean, talk about mistakes. You've obviously, you know, you mentioned some of the things that your students have done or you noticed with your students. I mean, what, what would be the top three mistakes you see uh, students make? Top three. Um, I would say there's, as soon as you get to a value area, I would say people lose all their patience. Like I would say for a lot of people, they can, they can wait for the right value area and you, they can tell you like, oh man, this is three weeks away. And they will not trade for that whole three weeks, like, or at least on that pair until that value area. And then, um, um, and then what's it called? And then the second it gets there, they just lose all that patience. So you can get there. You can kind of see maybe it's a day or two away. And that day or two away is just kind of too much. I would say that's the first one. I would say the second one, which is probably the one that most people do, um, is they implement tweaks that they've learned onto their full capital right away. Full capital might also mean your assessment, by the way. Like if that's the thing you're going for, whatever is your quote unquote hardest level, um, that would be your full capital. And I, I would say that's the biggest side because people try to reap the rewards while also learning something, you know, and I, I just don't personally agree with that. And I think, sure, there is an argument of efficiency you could argue in there, but the reality is if you pass an assessment incorrectly, you will, statistically speaking, almost always give it back, you know, and, and I'd argue it's one of the worst things that could happen to you because in the same way, and I, I've seen this, um, in the same way in League of Legends, like it's so funny how all these things connect, right? But we boosted someone's account and because now the game was too hard for them, instead of going back and just getting better and playing the game, they would just play without like playing ranked. So they would play what are called normal games, which means the games don't count for your mm. overall ranking. Oh, right. And then they would just do that. Right. And I've seen the same thing in trading. Someone gets a funded account and instead of like losing the account, which would just be probably the better thing to do in that case, because their skill set wasn't there, they care more about preserving the account. And then they do like, they just kind of do nothing in the middle because they don't trade anymore. And then, they, but they still show up every day, but they're not really trading the account because they care more about saving it in their ego rather than actually just getting better. Right. So that's the second side that I really would say people really do mess that up is, they try to take that tweak and put it on immediately to their best case mm. scenario. Whereas it, it kind of just doesn't work like that. And then I would say the third part is probably um, greed and mismanagement of positions. I kind of want to blame prop firms a bit for that one um, because obviously with prop firms, they set these profit targets and things. So when you're running like 6% and your assessment needs eight, a lot of times you're going to look at the six is closer to eight rather than where the six is on the chart. So you're looking at the assessment rather than like yeah. the actual chart in front of you. And then so you're managing your trade based off what your assessment needs. Um, and then so you'll see that because for a lot of people, they'll be running, again, something so close. And this actually happened to me once too as well. Like it was so funny because I had not made this mistake in so long. Um, it was an assessment I was trading. I was kind of like, I left it on the side or whatever, right? I took a trade. And it was running like nine and a half. This this assessment needed 10%, right? It got to like nine and a half. I was like, cool, we're probably going to finish it sooner or whatever. So I locked in nothing. I was like, I just kept it at break even. And I was like, because I was like, you know, it's probably going to pull back to eight and a bit and then we'll go. And funny enough, like as, as, as punishing as the world is, it pulled all the way back to break even, right? And I just started laughing, Cam. I was like, no way. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I have not made this mistake in years. The one time I make this mistake... I got like the most punishing version of itself where it pulled back the whole nine and a half. Cause like, and granted, I, I did like, like I did have my stop loss at like six, then I pulled it back to five, then two, you know what I mean? And I yeah, laughed. And I yeah, like, we've all been there. I was like, I really <laughs> did. Yeah, I was like, I really did the absolute beginner mistakes, you know? And in a way, I was grateful for it because 
I'm kind of glad to like be immediately punished for my mistakes. You know, like I'm, and my students know this, I'm really not a fan of making mistakes in a bullshit way. Sorry, making profit in a bullshit way. Um, but I guess for most people, I said is they won't really manage based off what's off the chart. They'll manage based off like their emotions, the prop firm mm. and time wise. Yeah, just greed, greed, right? greed is in like, yeah, yeah, I don't want 9%. I want 11%. That makes no sense, right? Another 2% or whatever. For, and especially for, if it's their biggest win already. Like I've yeah. seen that, right? The biggest one will be like 3%. They're now running 7%. And I'll be like, hey, how about just manually closing? Take the seven, whatever, right? Yeah. It's your biggest trade to date. They're like, no, let's let's aim for 20. And I'm like, yeah. I, I guess as a mentality, I've let home runs come to me. I've never really chased them. And and this is from a young age too. I never really saw the whole like glamour in, even, even with the gym, right? Like when I go to a gym now or whatever, I don't really aim for PRs. I aim for like 85% of a PR. Now you could say like, why not? And then the reason is like for me, like a one rep max makes no sense because you're risking injury because that's technically where your body, like your body's closest to yeah. failure and injury and all these things. So your risking injury is your worst case scenario. And you know, these injuries can be months and months and some of them are more permanent than others. And best case scenario, you get a PR. Now, if you're competing, that's a very different conversation. If you're just a person who goes to the gym, I don't see why a PR is going to help you like other than your ego. And then I kind of kept that same mentality in my trading where it's like, sure, you could say, hey, is my biggest trade to date is this or whatever. But to me, it's just more of as long as I can show up and do this like consistently, so to speak, that's the home run for me rather than needing to catch biggest amount in one trade. That's it'll come. It always does. Like at some point you do catch something that just goes and it's that just becomes it. But I'd rather you do it correctly. Now, now when you uh, got to the point where you sort of thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm actually going to pivot and go to Falcon and mm -hmm. learn what they do and see how I can get this uh, higher risk to reward ratio, that kind of thing. What, what, what was the sort of what? At what point were you at in your trading career? At you know that stage, were you you know how would you sort of classify it? So I was at the time I was. This would be late 2018. So this is like November 2018, give or take. I was trading about 100k at the time. Um, I was making about two three percent a month, and it, and I understand by by today's standards, like that's pathetic and all that, but. What was cool, and I actually did look at it at the time, is making two, three K, especially in a first world country, is it's not much, right? Like it's really not, it's not, uh, it's it's, more, it's less than your average job, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but the way I looked at it at the time was, I don't need to go get a job. Like my expenses were about the three percent, so to speak. So I was, I was matching a one to one minus taxes, though. Um, and that was the side where I was like, okay, I'm making just enough to like cover my bills and all that, save a bit, but nothing more right but i looked at the very obvious positive which is i don't actually have to go to a nine to five and the reason why this was important is because like i think capacity is a very real thing that a lot of people don't like to consider or at least again kind of going into like not saying it applies to them meaning like they'll go have a job they'll go to a gym they'll come home they'll make dinner then they're gonna study then they're gonna take care of the kids and i'm like wow you really get the most out of your 24 hours like it's just through and through right Whereas, I don't know, maybe call it my skeptical side. I don't think people are as efficient as they claim to be or whatever. Um, and so for myself, I was like, okay, hey, cool. I actually have like a full day now to like study trading, whether that's an extra five hours a day or whatever it was to do that. And then, so when I came to switch to Falcon, I had done my research at the time and I looked into it and, you know, it seemed legitimate and all that. 
And obviously it was scary because they traded kind of differently than the way we did. Like the way, I'd, like even though at its core, you could argue there's an Elliott wave similarity within there. Um, the way they viewed it was just kind of different. And I understood that if I'm wrong about this move, like I, I knew I'd have to unlearn what I knew and learn this new way. Right. And that meant I'm not making money. So I had about a year's expensive save, saved up on the side. And I was like, okay, let's, let's, I was like, if we're going to do this, you do this right. Meaning you're going to come into this, you're any mistakes you made before in trading, meaning like, like, uh, like student mistakes, right. Where it's like, you kind of show up to a webinar, but you're actually on YouTube at the same time, or you're on Instagram, or um, you're taking trades that you don't actually know, or you don't journal your trades, or you just like randomly trade because you feel like it. I was like, we, we I was like, we don't actually have time to do that shit now, because if I can't make Falcon work for me, I'd, the obvious answer would be I'd have to go back to my previous strategy. But if you've been trading differently for a year, logic says you can't just hop back into yeah. the previous one and then just be good at it again. So I was kind of looking and I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself a year. If there's really no results within Falcon or whatever, I will flip back, but like, it's going to be rough because I would be kind of quote unquote out of cash. I'd have to probably sell some of like my crypto or whatever. And who knew where the market would be? Like, again, this is early TA days where I, I didn't really understand macro positioning. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't be like, okay, this is going to be safe for me to pull from. I was like, this could be worth 50% less a year from now anyway. And then I pull from that. That would be like the worst time, so to speak. So I made like a promise to myself or whatever join falcon and i just kind of hit the ground running in terms of like i sacrificed everything like in terms of i didn't go out on weekends like and I, I, that may seem small but like it's a real thing to actually not go out every week to actually just spend like you you do feel the mental health side of things of just kind of like taking a step back like even at the time with um i was dating my ex at the time you know where i was always with her but i was always on the charts you know and she said it one day she's like you're never here and i was like what, what is she talking about i was like i'm literally with her every day yeah, but yeah. I, I, like i was physically there but i was just so into the charts and and to me it was because it, it actually did feel like my future depended on it you know like that was that that is no exaggeration there was a side i was like i don't pull this off i've lost my cash buffer i have to go back to the way that i trade i have to relearn like there's a lot of downsides to that so that made it really easy to just kind of listen and apply. I put insane hours every day for like the part that needed to. So especially when it was completely fresh and I didn't need to, it was not uncommon for me to just be hoodie on 16 hours a day and just kind of doing what I needed to do until eventually I would say around it would be about July, 2019 at that point, which is where I kind of found like my first bout of true, true consistency within Falcon. Um, and, and the reason I was able to figure that out was, we have something called like the Sunday market breakdown, which is basically like Mark puts out a video um, every week. It's about an hour, 45 minutes of everything he has on watch for the week ahead and why. So your goal as a student usually is to try and like predict this watch list before it comes out. Mm. That's kind of your goal. Yeah. And I remember at the time there was um Cad Yen and Swipe's like funny enough, it's like my favorite pair to date because of this moment, which at the time, to my knowledge, Cadian was never traded in Falcon's history. Like it was just never on watch. You would see Euro dollar on watch like every week, dollar cat on watch every mm. week, pound, whatever, right? Like there were some classics that always made the main watch. So you could like kind of cheat and be like, oh, I think dollar cat's going to be on watch this week. And honestly, you were seven out of 10 times. And I remember that particular night, I was like, I was like, man, like I really like Cadian. I was like, if I'm right, I was like, I think Cadian's fire. You know what I mean? And, but then my ego was like, Hey, you know, Mark's not going to put Cadian on watch. Like, don't put it. You don't want to be wrong. 
And, and I was basing this off logic, right? I actually sat down. I went through Falcon's history. I had never seen Cad Yen on the block. <laughs> right. So I was like, I was like, damn, no, no, no Cad Yen this week, right? But then before I came out, I was like, you know what, dude, just back yourself, like put Cad Yen on, send a message to Mark later, you know, like as a student, you can send in a request and ask him why, why you think this thing that's so beautiful did not make the watch. So I already mm. like counted it out oh, and everything. Yeah. And I was there, I was in my kitchen. I heard like, cause my computer's like the, the audio was on. I heard like the Slack noise, which was like the, that it came out. And I see it right there. First pair I see, which was Cad Yen. And I was wow. like, no way. And not only did I get Cad Yen, I got like the whole list, so to speak. But it was, it was a very surreal moment because I knew there was no like cheat in there in terms of like, it wasn't like, as I said, like a pair like Dollar Cad where especially if it's well positioned, could be on watch for like four months straight, give or take. So you're like, you kind of know it's on watch. I was like, nope, nobody talked about Cad Yen. No one's ever talked about Cad Yen. Like I saw this, I knew this. And that was like the first real breath of fresh air there, so to speak, where I was like, you know what? Like we haven't made it, but we're on the right track, you know? And, and did, did Mark reach out at that point and say anything? Cause it hadn't been on there for so long that he, that he, acknowledge I, it? I, I couldn't tell you because I, I didn't really know him back then. Right. Like he was just, he was just the yeah. a voice on a screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think, I, I think I voiced my excitement, whether or not someone saw it, I, I don't know, but it was, uh, it was a real right. meme. That's, 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 that's kind of cool. Um, okay. Right. So, so you, you obviously in a year and a half in, you sort of knew you had it with Falcon and and from there, I mean, what what did that two to three k a month turn into after that? I mean, were you able to just scale that even further? And I'm guessing looking at the dates, but uh, Bitcoin went from like twenty k to to sixty k. So you probably were okay at the end of the uh, end of the 2019, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I didn't hold through because like even pro- like I, I had I had held into the two k Bitcoin right that I'd sold. That was the one that went into twenty, so to speak. Um, which it was like the first time I just ripped that part. Um, so I, I'd not like held through all of that, but I had got back in, I had done well. And then obviously somewhere along the lines, prop firms kind of became more of a thing. Um, and then that kind of became the shift for myself where I started to look at like markets in terms of what's the best risk reward that I can do with things. Meaning like if like a lot of what I've done with my payouts is put them in crypto because it's been at value areas. You know, and it's 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 when been one of the better parts of the market, so to speak, because the way I saw it was like, you know what, like prop firms fine, they have their own, you know, like regulatory bullshit that comes with them. But if you know what you're doing, there's still decent ways to make money. So then that became a source of capital. Um, I got investor capital as well, you know, like that was that was a thing of the time as well. Like that was the traditional method to do things at the time, which I understood from very early on. And then it just became ways of growing the money so to speak you know where where i kind of position things in itself so crypto for me has been huge like that's a big part of my history it's a bit easy because i grew up in it so there's no like shock to me in terms of like when i hear like government banning it every other day or whatever like that's what it's been since 2012 like that's <laughs> oh, literally yeah, just yeah. In the light. you know what i mean like it's just the latest long line of regulatory bullshit that comes in and out and it's survived all of it it's just you have to understand how to position yourself in accordance with it because almost in the same way like fundamentals leave clues in that ways so you can understand the like rotation of capital so to speak so for myself like obviously the money kind of got better um at some point i did get offered to become coach within falcon which is a bit under three years ago now um and and that was just from like putting myself out there honestly like i have COVID to thank for that because COVID happened um and uh, Falcon at the time hosted what was like the first ever e-meet. 
And then it was kind of like the North American meetup, you know, so everyone from North America, you hop on a Zoom. I think at the time, Zoom was capped at 100, I believe. So 100 people join and, you know, how it is. You have 100 people in the room. It's kind of awkward and all that. And then I don't know what Mark and Niv had said, but like, it's like, hey, who wants to speak up or whatever? No one did. And I was like, you know what? Like, <laughs> all right, I'll do it. You know, and I, I started talking and and it was weird because nobody else really spoke up that day. You know what I mean? Like with a hundred yeah. something people in the room, it kind of just became the three of us. And then from that moment, like we, we became more friends and then, you know, like Mark looked into my trading and all that. And, you know, I think it was about a year, a year and a bit later where he offered me the position within Falcon, which was super cool because like you become a lot better of a trader as well when you teach at the same time. And it's not because like, like, sure, don't get me wrong. And I think this people like forget, like having an extra income, not from trading is cool. I, I don't know why people hate on it. Like, I guess I, I understand it. Like if you don't know how to trade and you're making money off like teaching, then yeah, I, I agree. I agree why that's mm. bad. But if you actually know how to trade and you have an extra income coming from trading, it's actually really cool because when you're teaching it, you have to explain things in every single way you can think of. And it makes you know your shit better. Like my trading got a lot better after I became a coach from both sides of, I now like have an income coming in from trading, so to speak. But also when people ask you the same question and you find all these different ways to answer it, you really know your technicals. Yeah, like exactly. that's why it's information I always give, like even if you don't teach, so to speak, record yourself breaking down as if you were teaching. Because when you're looking at the chart, you can kind of like have a cognitive dissonance where you can look at something and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is good, this is good or whatever. But if you actually spent like the four minutes explaining it as if everyone around you is like trying to prove you wrong, so to speak, you end up getting really good because you, you can't you can't actually have a job in trading like this for a long period of time if you're a fraud because people will catch on. So mm. you actually have to know your shit. And I remember I voiced this to Mark at the time. I was like, dude, like it was so funny because like this is exactly how anxiety works where you're like, like you ever been at like airport security? Maybe because like my skin color is a bit more native to me, but like you're like, what if I have something that I shouldn't have? You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, well, have you ever had this banned item? And you're like, no. And you're like, I might have it today. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, and I was just like, what if I don't know how to trade anymore? And I was like, dude, you've been living off this for a few years. Like you obviously know how to trade. And I was like, well, what if my luck runs out or whatever? Right. But it's like, that that's just normal, like growth anxiety, so to speak. Um, and then when you start like teaching, you realize you're like, oh shit, I actually do know my stuff. And people then ask you questions you've never heard of. They give you points of views you've not really considered sometimes. And, so, and that's the part I think I've appreciated the most because sometimes might, someone might be like, hey, like, why didn't you take this position here? And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't, why did I not take that position? And then I'll note it down and then I'll go like check that out later because I'll reverse engineer why I wrote that off or why I didn't consider it. And then in that there's a tweak. So it's like having these other eyes on you, although on one side you could argue is a pressure and the other side, it's like, I just took it as growth for me because I was like, I know my shit and I can explain it, but also equally, they keep me accountable. Yeah, and I was exactly. like, that's one of the yeah. greatest gifts I can have because if I don't have accountability, like we know as humans, we don't have accountability. You can, you can kind of fall off the rails, so to speak. But when you know you have to come on and explain your thought process, why you set your entry here and not here, why this entry, it's like, man, like that keeps you on the ball, you know? Yeah, it's like, a, it reminds me of a trader Tom who I had on the show a, a while back. He has, he's got a telegram group and he sort of like says, basically you guys, I think he said in the interview, he said, you guys are the ones that are keeping me profitable to a certain degree because he's got that massive accountability. And I suppose it's just like, he's got to perform in front of all these people, 25,000, whatever 
people every day. So if they weren't there, he could go off the rails. Um, hey, let's dive into some uh, some stats around your trading and and, and uh, wrap this baby up. So, so if you had to sort of like break down your typical trading week now, what does it look like? Trading week now, it's I would say it's it's a lot more on like the comfier side now of things. I would say I'm, I'm past like the grind phase now. It's it's a lot more like it is the cliche freedom now side of things, which is kind of funny because I was never really that guy. Like even back in 2016, 2017, I, I was really not the oh I would love to trade and be by the beach or whatever. But like now there is like more snow. I mean here in Canada, like snowboarding and trading and stuff like that. So there is a degree of like clicheness of it now. Of course. I work with Falcon, so there's a lot of stuff that we do. I would say that takes a lot part of my time with like the coaching and the webinars. Um, but it's it's really fun because you're actually how do I say it? it? It's it's not about making money in the traditional sense. Like sure you are of course, but there's no conflict of interest in the sense of when I teach my students, um, there there's no um. Uh, if they get better, that doesn't threaten me. You know, it's not like yeah. I have a business on the corner of the street and I'm teaching you how to open that exact business and then you open it and I'm like, well, shit, there goes like my my average value per customer or whatever, right? It's like, no, you can take the same trade as me and we can make the same, like infinite amount of money, so to speak. So that side has actually been really cool because you genuinely are helping people change their lives in the most positive way without losing something yourself. So it actually makes it really easy to show up every day because there's no conflict of interest, right? Versus a lot of areas of life that would have that conflict of interest. So that side is cool, but there's also the side of like when you're growing something together, like obviously Falcon, we have a goal right now of building a hundred million dollar fund. Um, and it, it's really cool to train the people for it, so to speak, because at some point, you know, like based off how like the equity would be split within the fund or whatever, you know, where you are ranked within it, it's like, it's in my best interest for people to do well, because if the fund does better, it's in my own personal best interest for myself to do better. Right. So it's, it's actually really cool to um, like work alongside Mark and the team for stuff like that, because you, you are actually doing meaningful stuff in the world. Like you're not just coming on and making money by like, you know, tricking people or whatever. It's like, you actually are helping them get better, but also at the same time, the more they get better, the better the payout is for us. So it's it's a two-way thing. It's it's really not like as like, I'm not trying to stop, make it negative, but like, it's not like, oh, we're so altruistic, like here, we're here to help you and there's nothing in it for us. It's like, no, you succeed, we succeed. So like, it's cool, right? So that side I would say takes the most of my time is a lot of like the, the stuff we've been building infrastructure. Like we go out to Dubai at the time of this, this is in two weeks, you know, and, and we have like a mastermind there. There's a few other things planned for next year. So I would say that side, the coaching, the webinars, I do a lot of market research every day. Like that's, I, I love, I'm very passionate about it. So even if it's not directly into my trading, I still try to understand different stuff in the market. A lot of it is on the more fundamental macro side. Like I do stay away from the whole, um, call it like Instagram shenanigan stuff where people are just like, oh, my strategy is better than yours. It's like, yeah, you yeah, can, you, yeah. I, I, there, there's things you can kind of move past that, right? Um, so I, I don't spend too much time on that. So I do spend quite a bit. And then the rest is like, I go to gym, like quite often, I would say like six days a week, um, more of, it's more for discipline for me rather than like extreme bodybuilding or anything. It's just, it's keep moving all that. And a lot of reading, I love to read. Um, and then the rest is just, I, I go with the flow. I guess that that's always been a bit of a life philosophy for me in terms of like, do the shit that you have to get done every day. And then let like the randomness of life take over the rest part of the day. That to me has always kind of been um, kind of the magic of life, so to speak, in a way, because 
an extreme routine for me is a bit kind of off-putting because it's way too predictable. Mm. Now, you do need a degree of routine to achieve some level of success and whatever. But I also like the opposite side of like, you know what? If I'm going to dinner with someone in like three days or whatever that I don't know about at this point in time, like I think that's really cool because you, you keeps it like alive, you know, in terms of you can do different things. And obviously when you have the finances and you're not limited to it, it's 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 very empowering in that way because you're not you don't have to say no to stuff that you would want to say yes to. And I guess that kind of goes back to understanding that sacrifice way back when and holding through it to be in a position to be able to do that, which kind of just makes you very grateful, to be honest. And, and so like if, if we sort of break down your stats around the trading, I mean, what do they look like? So how many trades are you taking a week? What's your average win percent, risk to reward, that kind of thing? Okay. Um, I would say his my, my best years I've averaged in that 10 to 12 trades per month. Um, usually I would say, it's three more, like three weeks that are more active than one dead week, kind of just knowing it off uh, like the back of my mind. I would say risk to rewards. I would say most of the daily structures we target have like these double digit returns. Now you don't usually hold the whole way through because there's like deeper pullbacks and stuff. So I'd say a lot more times the risk reward kind of ends up becoming like a three to one, give or take. Um, I would say I've historically averaged like six to 7% a month. Um, with the occasional like high double digit, like there are some random months that'll just randomly hit like 20 or 30% and you're just like, oh, okay, cool. But a lot more times it's more of correctly, like I'm, I do better when I scale in on positions that are running. Like I've never been that guy who catches like nine different trades and wins eight of them or whatever. I'll catch like one targeted run and try to get into it as safely as possible. Um, and, and kind of stack that win because I've kind of always seen that like something that's already going already has the momentum, so to speak. And then you're better off like juicing it for more rather than needing to divide and conquer, so to speak. Um, nothing wrong with the other way. I know other people that do very well at that. But to me, it was always like, because funny enough, I played the same way in League of Legends. I would find my what was known as my win condition. And I just went on that. Like we would have what are known as win cons, right? There'd be like five of them. And I'd be like, no, I'm going for this one. And that was it. Um, so in a way, it's a bit funny because I guess as a play style, that never really changed for me. Like I kind of just remain that person. Um, definitely can do more into the double digit months, but I, I, I do a lot of like experimenting, I guess, um, which you could argue sometimes works against me just because there's a side of like where I'll manipulate different positions in terms of like, you'll see what you have as high risk and as low risk, for instance. Um, and I'll try to like, more aggressively take the, the lower risk ones while stacking the, the high risk ones. And to a degree, you could argue, it's like, well, why would you just take take the low risk ones? And in one way, I can argument that. But another way, it's like, the more accounts you have, the more with problems and stuff, the more you can actually kind of also diversify risk. And you can, to me, it's more of a keep yourself in, so to speak, and keep on remaining, executing, remaining sharp, because you stay in, to, like, um, in tune with the price action every day, right? Like at the end of the day, like I am present by the charts every day. Like I see it all day throughout its development. So there are things that over time that I once upon a time would not have taken that I would take now, you know, and and so, and that's kind of like the, the, the cause of experience from that point of view where you're like, oh, cool. Once upon a time, I wouldn't take this because I just wasn't at that level of consistency. Whereas you reach a certain point and you're like, okay, this is a very aggressive play, but I know how to do it now on mm. the back end of all these years, right? So that, that's been a cool development from that point of view. And, and you have more time. So you always look at like more ways to what, there's passive income or whatever, right? And so like in terms of like the prop firm space and, and passing those challenges, getting accounts, I mean, do you want to give us some numbers around like how many 
challenges you've taken, how many have you passed, and how many accounts you're trading now? Yeah, so I, I do trade in the seven figures. Um, I've never lost a funded account that I know. In terms of challenges, I did. I would say how many have I done? I really haven't done that many. I know, like early on in FTMO, I had lost a lot. That's the one I've lost the most on. That was like late 2019, maybe or whatever. Um, and and that was back then. Where I guess I what I did incorrectly was I traded it legitimately in the sense of like it was 30 days, 10 percent. You'd risk your one per and like. The chances of actually getting the 10%, I was not at that skill level. Whereas, so I hadn't like adjusted, so to speak. And then once I got better, I kind of knew how to play them a bit better, so to speak, especially when it was still the 30 day time limit. Now I do a bit more experimenting with the, um, uh, with the assessments, right? So like at some point I shifted away from like, I guess it was ego at some point in time where I was like, I don't want to fail any assessments or whatever. And I was almost like too good versus after I kind of got seven figures and I got my payouts, you know, like I did really well with like all, like all the main ones and all that. At some point I was like, okay, what's more efficient now is to actually kind of stack um, accounts, so to speak. And then, so I up the aggression on them and the way I, so I use it in two ways. I use it in one. Sometimes when I was telling you earlier, like I won't really trade demo, I'll kind of trade it on the assessment account. So I'll, let's say I'll buy like a 200K assessment or whatever, and I'll try a theory out. And if it doesn't work out, I just lose the fee for the 200k account. Like I don't really care about that. It's the $1,000 or whatever. Um, and but if it passes, I'll do it again on phase two. And then once it's got to the funded stage, I won't trade that new method, so to speak, or like that experiment. Because usually sometimes it's like adjusting a risk or going a bit more aggressive in a mm. certain way or whatever. Um, I won't trade it on the funded capital. I'll trade the way that I'm most confident, like that's gotta be my success. And then I'll do that again on like two more assessments. Once I've passed like three assessments with that like way, then I'll trade it on like 30% of the funded capital, so to speak. And then once it's been like three months doing well on that, then I'll trade that on full capital. So I, I kind of use the different stages of prop firms because the way I see it is I'm at a level now where, cause I know like one of the advice I was giving earlier is people will try to take a tweak and then put it on their full capital, right? I'm at the point now where I don't question my ability to pass an assessment. Like it's kind of just normal for me now. Whereas if you haven't really passed an assessment, I wouldn't try to like up the risk or whatever, or do more aggression because one of the worst things that could happen is you might actually pass in the wrong way, so to speak. And you're not ready for that versus I really know my bread and butter, so to speak. And then, so when I now I'm experimenting, I can leverage that of, Hey, if I, the, it's, it's a risk reward game at the end, it's, I take a thousand dollars and to try something out and I try it out, make sure my parameters are clear for this assessment. I do it. If it's, fails, I lose $1,000. If it passes, I get a 200K account. And then first payout already pays dividends and more on that. So it's a very repeatable from that point of view. And and how do you split the your sort of prop versus personal versus, uh, I suppose, investor capital funding and trades? And do you use some kind of tr- trade copy or how do you yeah, sort of manage all like that? Sort of stuff? Tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can, you, on social trader tools, you you can kind of mm-hmm. split like different parameters, so to speak. So I know like with investor capital, for instance, I trade the safest on that one, for instance, because that one to me, it's like, you know, this is other people's money. It's the one you have to like report to someone else. It's like that one trades this way. Then I have like my main prop firm accounts, you know, the ones that like are safest prop firms and all that fun stuff. I'm like, okay, let's make sure we make our money. I tend to aim for like, honestly, like 3% and then withdraw just to not run into any payout issues. Um, Because you never know these days you yeah. hit a really big trade and then God knows, right? So that's the side of me that I can still see the high risk side to prop firms. And their goal was never end game anyway, in terms of like, mid, mid, like, 
getting a billion dollars in prop from capitals. Like it's not the goal. It's to make as much that you can to get it out of there and then put it into somewhere else, which as I said, for a lot of myself, I've kind of put that into crypto, um, which like throughout the bear market as it's kind of, you know, um, been bottomed out and it's, it's done well now. Um, and then I have, as a, and then my third category is my more experimental slash um, aggressive accounts, so to speak. And then that's kind of where I just do a lot of my experimentation. It's uh, and, and I'm going to guess here that you know, get, being Canadian and and my forex funds going down, you probably had a prop firm account with them. I mean, how was that? That that was that a pain in the pain in the ass when it went down in terms of like an impact to your capital, or had you already sort of forecast? How you deal with this potential scenario? You know, well, so I, I did have 600k with them, so it's, it's never fun to lose that, right? Like you're not like, so don't get me wrong, I wasn't like, yay, thank God they went down. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was actually kind of annoying because they were like, quote unquote, the most legitimate like prop firm too. So it was in a way kind of scary because it's like, hey, they're they're the biggest ones out there, right? And and they had never really denied payouts. Like I'd never had payout issues with them ever, right? I I just you send in, you get it. Like it was. You didn't really hear about anything, right? So that side was unfortunate. On the other side, though, I guess as a security, so to speak, it was nice to know that I had like I'd been trading well for a while now, that I wasn't worried about redoing assessments mm. with other prop firms, right? That was side to me that I was like, okay, this is a setback for like two, three months or whatever it is. I'll just get the capital elsewhere. And I have the capital to like buy more assessments. You know, like I can understand if someone's in a situation where they can only really afford one assessment. That's a lot of pressure. I get that. But thankfully, I had been in a position where I'd already kind of diversified. Size. Look, I always saw the downside list of prop firms. Now, I didn't think it would come this soon. I'm not going to like say I, I saw this coming. I really didn't see it happening like now. It was more of like a five, 10 year outlook where I was like, hey, you know what? In five, 10 years, I can really see why this business model is not going to be doing the best, so to speak. And not maybe less from government regulation and more to do with people cheating, if I'm honest. Right. Like in the sense of, as you remember, like there was not really prop firms in our time at the time. So that made us take trading more seriously versus now I kind of see people, they, they really do buy an assessment and then they like hoard it right before a news and event or whatever. And I was like, you would never do that in 2018 or whatever. Like yeah. if you had investor capital and you were like, hey man, give me hundred K and then three seconds before the news, you do 5% risk. Like you, you would get sued for that. You know, and so I, I guess I kind of saw that immaturity that happened or rather lack of people taking it actually serious because they don't see it as they're risking anything. And that to me was actually kind of worrisome because I saw this before really understanding the whole A book, B book logic, which was if I was, I'm just going to use FTML for instance, right? Like does not, has nothing to do with using a name and I'm trying to copy trade a trader, but how do I know who to copy trade? And if people just come on and, and troll, what do I do? How am I supposed to actually trade that like on my side? And what if they, cause people, it's like, obviously you, uh, you get a profit, you're owed that profit now. And they're like, well, just copy trade. You, you can't copy trade someone that takes a trade half a second before news, 5% mm. risk at certain like market depths that you just can't, you know, and, and really tight stop losses and whatever. And if by some miracle that the position stays in um, due to demo conditions, now the prop firm's going to lose money on that. And it's not the prop firm's fault. And I'm not saying this to defend prop firms. I'm saying if some people trade in a certain way, that's uncopyable because it's yeah. not legit, yeah. right? So I saw kind of the flaw in the business model in that way because I was like, shit, if enough people trade like shit on the right day, meaning the right day for the traders and the wrong day for the prop firm, 
that could seriously damage a prop firm's health. Like what if a lot, and I kind of happened this month as well with gold, like with gold just going up and up and up and people full porting it. That's caused a lot of like very big payouts that those prop firms were not hedged for, right? So that's the side to me that from day one, I always kind of looked at not having all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. So investor capital is always enough that like I can make enough of and live off if I needed as like um, an income. I have the income coming in from Falcon. Then I had the prop firms. Then I had extra money going into like crypto as a different, so I can capitalize on payouts going into crypto at the current levels. Crypto then follows my market thesis that goes up, that then like grows the account in another way outside of my own trading. So that kind of really diversified, but was it shit for my forex once to go down? Yes. Was I like affected? Like I lost, as I said, the 600K with them, but I was psychologically, I was probably in the best position I've ever been in. And I was like, wow, like this is what it means to actually make yourself the asset. Like it's one of those things you had always heard in trading, which is like, make yourself the asset, make yourself the asset. And this was one of those first times I was like, holy shit, Pro like my forex funds might went down, but you can't take away my ability to trade. I was like, I'll just trade another prop. Yeah, now. that's what it comes down to, right? You know, hey, um, we're going to wrap up here with some quick fire questions. Uh, that's been fantastic. So start off with like, how long would you say it took you to go from complete newbie to consistently profitable? First level year, proper consistency, maybe like four and a half, I would say. Like I would say at the four and a half is when I started to really know my trading personality from that point of view. Um, and then that, then it became a lot more like uh, just little like tweaking here and there versus discovering new stuff. Uh, do you have a recommended trading book or resource? Trading book or resource? Oh, um, I've read all of them. See, I'm, I'm an avid reader, but I would say for book, I would say psychology of money, actually. That's probably my favorite one out of them all. Um, I would say like obviously your standard stuff like trading zones, it's all good and stuff, but psychology of money is interesting because it's to the point. It's not too long. It's an easy read, but, and, and I like that the author doesn't like over talk when he doesn't need to, which a lot of books, unfortunately do that. They kind of add extra fluff, but it kind of talks a lot about our perceptions of money and how society has like molded us mm -hmm. on it. You know, like one of my favorite ones is actually, it's, it's very quick is, if you were born during a recession, you're less likely to invest. And it's because you've kind of seen the worst of like the economy at such a young age. And then it molds you around it versus if you were born at like the height of a bull market, even when things happen, you're just ready to kind of invest because you're like, oh, we'll rebound. Like you just kind of intrinsically know that mm. versus the person who, because if you look at like the S&P over the last hundred years, we've only had like, quote unquote, like three like recessions or whatever you want to call them yet people born within that they found that those people really don't invest anymore and it's like despite the data saying hey you should really just buy the S&P year to year out they'd be like no I'm good and so it really shows kind of how our psychological basis from like our, our experiences at a young age can really form things for the rest of our life if you don't actually know how to undo them yeah it's interesting I think I've actually read that book it's quite a good book uh now what about your preferred broker trading platform and prop firm Look, folks, I know you want the answer to this question. Which broker is this trader using? Now, the answer has been sponsored by Black Bull Markets. So to find the answer out, you're going to need to go over to tradingnut.com, find the show notes page for this guest, and then all will be revealed. Uh, and last question, if you could re uh, leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? One piece of advice? Ooh. Uh, I, I would say almost in a way like, enjoy every chapter for what it is right and and what i mean by that is like if you're in a more let's just say you're in a part of your journey right now where you're back testing a lot more it's not always going to be like that 
like there's going to come a time, like there was a point in my time where I was doing like practicing like 10, 12 hours a day, whatever, right? You could argue I was not efficient with it, but I knew in that moment that that was not the next 40 years. And almost in the same way, like, like at this point in time, I'm, I'm not a father, or at least I'm not aware of it. Um, and I, I plan on being one one day, right? So it's like, once you have kids, it's like, you, you'll never not be a parent anymore, right? And it's a different chapter of your life. So that that's kind of the same idea that if you can kind of look at every chapter of your life, what it's meant to be, you know, and and some it's like learning stages or whatever, and you find a way to actually enjoy it for what it is. And that could be for all areas of life. You can enjoy, you know, being with someone, you can enjoy being single, you know what I mean? You can enjoy both sides. It makes that chapter more tolerable, to be honest, because the way I see it is like, when you're learning to trade, for instance, you won't always have to learn to trade. At one point, you'll be trading 100K, 200K, whatever, right? And as that scales up, and you'll never really have to go back to that chapter. So almost in a way, it's like, enjoy the, the pros and cons that come with it. Because when you're learning to trade, you don't have to worry about living off trading money. Like as as as, as cool as that sounds, and it is, there's also a downside of like, when you're trading 100K and you only make 2% a month and you spend the 2%, you're actually worried about like losing your job, so to speak. It's not like until the numbers get bigger and bigger that you're like, okay, we're, we're good now. There's a lot of survivability throughout there, right? Whereas when you're just learning, the downside is just, you're not making money, sure, but there's no there's no risk on the table and there's that's, that's a pro in itself, right? So if you can kind of see the pro and con of every chapter and what it serves to your life and find a way to enjoy that, I think there's there's a coolness to all of it because you can appreciate every chapter for what it actually is. Awesome. Brilliant. Look, before we wrap up, what's the best way for traders to get hold of you? Um, probably Instagram, Abdu Trades. Um, I have the blue check mark, so make sure to not talk to one of my thousand fake fakes. Um, but yeah, Instagram Brilliant. would be the easiest one. Well, look, a uh, big thank you to Abdu for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed will be over there on Trading Art. Uh, in the show notes, to find them, simply search for Abdu in the search box or click the link below the video or podcast here. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. All right, folks, there you have an interview done and dusted with Abdu. Now, uh, we did shoot a video after this where he breaks down his trading approach. So you're going to find out all about that. This uh, AR trade is actually what we went for. And you're going to find out how that all works on the Trading Art YouTube channel go over and check that out remember other things going on here at trading up we've still got those blue guardian challenges ticking away in the background we've also got the uh, mystery trader dropping trades ideas on the telegram channel so if you're not over there to go and dive into that we've also got the robot builders club if you're looking to automate stuff that you do go and check that out and a few more new things coming up very soon here on trading Nut. thanks for sticking around to the end we'll see you in the next one